You are listening to the Invitation Church podcast. To learn more about Invitation Church, visit us online at invitation605.com. You can also download our app on iTunes and Google Play by searching for Invitation 605. All right. Well, in the book of Acts, uh, tonight we're coming to a cliff in the book of Acts. Don't know if you've uh, been hiking in your life. I think we have a picture, Becker Boys. We're going to throw that up on there. Not advising what's happening here. Don't even know if what's happening is real. Could be photoshopped. I just found it on the internet. So that's just, just being honest with you, okay? Uh, so we've been hiking, been to a place where there, there's more hike to do, but we're sort of done on this path. Like we can't go any further. Uh, there's more journey, there's more to experience, and we're, we're kind of hitting that in the book of Acts. We've made it through the first five chapters, and the cliff that we have reached in the book of Acts is this movement that has been started by Jesus that is really centered in Jerusalem and that is based in Judaism, is now going to go beyond Jerusalem and it's going to be a worldwide movement. Rather than it just being stuck in the cul-de-sac of Judaism and Jerusalem, it's going to go beyond. And he's promised that in the very beginning of the book of Acts, where he tells his disciples, like, hey, I'm going to return to the Father, but then my Holy Spirit is going to fall on you. And because it has fallen on you, it's going to fall on other people. And you're going to be my witnesses. In Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And what we've seen so far in the first five chapters of the book of Acts is two people have gotten a lot of attention. They've been kind of at the center of a lot of the stories. And so we've heard a lot about this guy named Peter. And we've heard a lot about this guy named John. And they've kind of been kicking things up. They've been stirring up trouble. But there's a couple other people now who are going to be in the center of the story. And the people who are going to be in the center of the story are not Jewish people. They're people of Greek origin. And so we're going to hear a lot about this guy, Stephen, over the next little bit. And we're going to hear about his buddy, Philip. And John and Peter are going to kind of fall into the background a little bit. And Luke is doing something in telling the story in this way. Because, I mean, our Bibles, all the chapters are listed out, the verses are listed out, but that's not the way that it was in the ancient world. It's just kind of like one big document. And you're trying to figure out the breaks and how it all works out. And so Luke is, by shifting away from John, shifting away from Peter, and shifting toward Stephen and Philip, he's showing us that there's a cliff, that there's a break, and there's some cool stuff uh, for us to learn. So what's cool stuff you want to know? That's a great question. So Acts chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. In those days... When the number of disciples was increasing, isn't that just an interesting way to talk about the movement of God? That the number of disciples were increasing. Not the number of churches were increasing, the number of disciples. People who have given their lives to the Jesus way, not to an idea, not even to a way of thinking, but to a person 
the words that he has for the world, the way that he shows up in the world, the path that he's called people to walk, that's increasing the Grecian Jews. That's another way to talk about the Greek people. The Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews, so the people from Judaism, because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the 12, the 12 disciples, gathered all the disciples together. So a smaller group got the larger group together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word for God, of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. So interesting, hey, just find seven people who are available. Find seven people who don't have anything going on tonight. No, find seven people who have been to Sunday school. No, seven people who are full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and we'll give our attention to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. And it just brings up this question, where'd they get that idea? Like, can you think of a person in the New Testament who gives a group of people that were following him some things to do? like a way to share in the ministry of Jesus. And if you're thinking about Jesus, you're thinking about the right person. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread, and the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. So there's a question in those seven verses, and the question is like, have you ever been on the outside of something? Have you ever felt like you're on the outside of something? Someone's having a conversation and you just don't really know. You've not listened to the song. You've not been to the movie. You weren't invited to the thing. So 10% of the world population are people who are left-handed. And if you are left-handed you know that you have been born into a right-handed world. I'm going to show you a couple of examples. Example number one, scissors. Left-handed people, I'm not going to make you raise your hand, but if you've ever tried to use scissors that were designed for a person who is right-handed, you might have bigger luck asking a kangaroo to cut that up for you, right? It's really difficult. So that's number one. Number two, is this, have you ever noticed this, that zippers, most zippers, who are they for? They're for right-handed people, because what side is the flap on, right? If you're left-handed, it's awkward, it's difficult, you kind of dance with your pants every morning, okay? That's number two. Or these demonic devices, a notebook with the spirals 
just to cut your hand at every stroke of the pen, right? We've got more, don't worry. What's our next one? Oh, yeah. Cup holders. You ever notice this, left-handed people? Where are the cup holders that have any size to them? They're on the right side. So if you're a left-handed person with your Starbucks coffee, your right arm just gets in the way, and so it's better just to hold it and to drive like this, right? That's another one. Okay, what else do we have? Oh, yeah. The number pad on a lot of keyboards. Do you notice what side of the keyboard it's on? The right side of the keyboard, right? There's one more. What's next? Oh, yeah, desks, right? Yeah, because nobody thought in this classroom we were going to have these other kinds of people, 10% of the population, right? And if you're left-handed, you just don't, I mean, how are you supposed to ride that amusement park ride in the first place, right? Sit down, and it's like, where do you put your, there's no easy place to put your arms and to write, okay? A couple more. Credit card machines, have you noticed this? If you are a left-handed person, is there an unawkward way? So it's like you get your wallet and your right, it's on the right side. Okay, there's, I think, one more or two more. Crossword puzzles, right? If you write with your left hand, like you're covering up the boxes as you go, and then this is the last one. Tape measure, right? So if you're left-handed, you got to like flip the tape measure upside down. And of course, you figured out how to do this. You're fine. No one's complaining. But it's just another way that you are a left-handed person in a right-handed world. The Greek widows are on the outside. Like they've been overlooked. Like they've been forgotten. There's a daily distribution of food that happens. And the widows of Hebraic origin of Judaism, like they're getting their food, but the Greek widows aren't. Do you understand the church in Jerusalem at this time is massive? Like it's in the thousands. Like this movement has taken off. It's been a movement of power and of substance. And there were Hebrew-speaking disciples, and there were Greek-speaking disciples. So there's kind of two synagogues. There's a synagogue where they spoke Hebrew, a synagogue where they spoke Greek. But now these two groups of people are together. And you're wondering, okay, like, why so many widows? Like, why would there be Greek widows? And one of the reasons there's this large number of Greek widows is that men in the winter of their life would desire to move to Jerusalem. Why? So they could be buried near the holy city. Like this was a significant place, right? And so you have this huge movement of Greek families that are moving into Jerusalem, and then these husbands die, and these wives are left disconnected from help and dependent on charity, And if you're disconnected from help and you're dependent on charity, that is a scary and a stressful place to be. Like, that's not a comfortable place to be, to be disconnected from help. Like, have you ever forgot your phone at home and you realize how attached you actually are to it? 
we could talk about that, but in a very different way, these people have moved into this new place, and they're disconnected from their families and from help, and they're dependent on the church to provide for them. So verse 1, we're told these Greek widows, they're, they're being passed over in the daily food distribution. So what happens? They complain. And it's interesting, even that word complain has this like negative connotation to it. But can I tell you, that's not how the scriptures think of it. Now, there's this moment in the 16th chapter of Exodus when the people of God, they, they complain to Moses. And they're like, Moses, why did you bring us out here? You said this was going to be a promised land, but this is a desert place. And they complain against him, why did you bring us out? And these Greek widows really are coming on the backside of that declaration generations before, saying we don't feel noticed. Like, we don't feel visible, we don't feel seen, and we feel hungry. And we're being passed over in this daily distribution of food. I think it's really important to, to pause at this juncture in the story and, and just to ask ourselves a question about who God is and what God is like, how his heart beats. And it's important for us to say tonight that, that God hears like all of the grumbling, like all of the complaining, all of the deep things of your heart that you come to him with. Like he sees all of that. Like he hears all of that. There's not a prayer that you utter in your life that God was not available to hear and to hold and to see. And he notices us. This is one of the things you notice in the scriptures as you read about Jesus' interaction with people. Like he's a great noticer. Like, do you have someone in your family who notices the little things? Do you have someone in your family who notices the little details that you would miss? This is the example we see in Jesus. That some of the disciples would, would be very happy to pass people by, but Jesus doesn't. He is the great noticer of his people. But it's interesting, while God hears, while God notices, it is often through another person that he meets our needs. Like it's often through the hands of another person that he shows up that he answers what we have been talking to him about. And what does that mean? What that means is that we have been entrusted to each other. So that person at Hy-Vee who's helping you bag up your groceries, we have been entrusted to that person. That person in your workplace that you have a hard time with, You've been entrusted to that person, that person in your family, that right now things are just hard. You have been entrusted to that person. There's this really popular passage of scripture that many of us have heard. It's a Psalm of David, not Psalm 25, like we had earlier, but Psalm 23. And there's just one line in verse 6 of Psalm 23, and it just says that surely 
goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That word follow is this Hebrew word radop. And radop means to pursue, to chase down, to, to run after. And one of the ways that God shows his goodness, like the goodness and mercy that follows his people, is going to come from in the hand of another person. And so how the goodness and mercy is going to show up in my life often is going to come from one of you, someone that I'm connected to because we have been entrusted to each other. And this is missing in this narrative. There's a group of people who have been overlooked, who have been passed over. And it's important in the ancient world to understand that you're in danger of being discarded. If you were old, you were in danger of being discarded if you were young and if you were poor. Like that was a dangerous situation for you to be an elderly person, for you to be a child, a baby, or if you were poor. It was a dangerous situation in the, the ancient world. And how can we talk about that in the modern world? Like in the modern world, you're in danger of being discarded if you're different. Like if you think differently, if you don't fit in, if you think differently, if you act differently, if you look, all of those things, like you're in danger of being discarded. That's why comparison is such an idol in our world and in our culture, because we're just told like, hey, we've got to like fit in here. Don't stand out. And it's interesting to ask what Jesus has come to say. Like Jesus has come to say, I have come to gather up everything discarded. I've come to gather up every single person who has been pushed away by the world. Every person who has been overlooked. Every person who has been passed over. Like I've come to gather them up. There's this image that he uses. Like Jesus is weeping two times in scriptures that I can think of. One when Lazarus dies. But there's another time. And he's looking at a city. He's looking out over Jerusalem and he says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Like I, I came to, to gather you up. Like a mother hand gathers her chicks, but you did not want that. You are not interested in that. Jesus has come to gather up everything discarded. And Isaiah chapter 10 says, Woes to those who make unjust laws, to those who issue oppressive decrees, to deprive the poor of their rights and withhold justice from the oppressed of my people, making widows their prey and robbing the fatherless. So people who have given their lives to Jesus, like this is a, a part of the Old Testament, which they would have known. This is part of the Torah. Like widows need to be paid attention to. 
people who cannot just be passed over because of their situation, because of their background. So part of what it means to love God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and strength is to pay attention to those who have been discarded. And one of the things that this makes me think of in our present world is all of the refugees all around the world. Would it surprise you to know that there are 68 million refugees in our world? And 50% of them are children. And you're saying, okay, 68 million, how much is that? I'll tell you, it's the population of Texas and California put together. Well, how many is that? It's 30 every minute. That's how many it is. And the heart of Jesus is to gather up everything discarded. And the beautiful thing about it is Jesus wants to tell his people, I don't want to be the only one who's committed himself to the work of gathering up everything discarded. I just would imagine in your world, in your life, there are people you have in your phone who have been passed over, people who have been discarded. I would imagine there's people in your workplace, people within your family, faces that could flash in your mind right now who feel like these Greek widows do, that they've been passed over and discarded and forgotten. And Jesus says, I've come for them. What's it mean to offer resurrection to the world? What's it mean to offer restoration to the world? It means to gather up everything discarded. I find it interesting that in John chapter 21, Jesus shows us this. Because where are the disciples? The disciples are kind of scattered. After he goes to Jerusalem and he offers his life and he dies on a cross in a shameful, public, horrific way, and he has to go chase down Peter and offer him to come and have breakfast. And they have this conversation about what has happened. Jesus has come to gather people up. He's come to gather you up. Verse chapter, verse 3 of this narrative, I guess that's the first two verses, so there you go. Verse 3 and 4. Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We'll turn this responsibility over to them and give our attention to prayer and ministry of the Word. So we need to change how we're doing this. This church has gotten big, it's gotten massive. We've got to change how we're getting food to these people. And then the greatest miracle in the book of Acts. Are you ready for it? It's verse 5. This proposal pleased the whole group. Are you joking me? Even the person in the back, right? It pleased the whole group. This is a great idea. This is a great idea. And it brings up this list of names. Can you throw that slide up? That'd be sweet. Stephen and Philip and Prochorus and Nicanor and Timon and Parmenas and 
Nicholas. These are not Jewish Hebrew names. These are Greek names. And it's the Greek widows who are being overlooked. And in their wisdom, it's important that those Greek widows receive the goodness and mercy of God in the hand of someone who speaks their language. Because Jesus has come to gather up everybody discarded, everything discarded. And at the end of this story, we could get into this conversation, why are we separating waiting on tables and preaching on the word? Isn't that one thing? And yes, of course it's one thing. What the disciples are not saying is it's more important to teach the word than it is to wait on people. They're just saying we don't have time to do all of that. And so the body of Christ works best when we find ways to serve and to give and to show up. But there's this question that honestly this week has, I've not been able to get out of my mind. And it's this question, what does Jesus think of this church in Jerusalem? Like when he sees this church in Jerusalem, like what does he think? What does he think of this church? And I think he's really proud of this church in Jerusalem. Because there's a whole list of these Greek widows who are being fed and who are being paid attention to. I think Jesus say, oh good, somebody's looking after Chloe. Because she's been disconnected from her family, from her support. Oh good, someone's paying attention to Alexandra. Because she's had a rough few years of life. Oh good, someone's paying attention to Amelia and Mercura and Sophia. They've not been forgotten. They are being gathered up. And what stands to me as so powerful in this little narrative, these little seven verses, is not what we think of this church. It's not about what I think of invitation. I'm sorry, it's not even about what you think of invitation. It's what Jesus thinks of it. I will listen to your opinion on this church. And I hope you'll listen to mine too. But ultimately, the the rudder in the water is what Jesus thinks of it. Not what the outside world thinks of it, whether they like it or not, but what Jesus thinks of it. And I think Jesus is pleased When people who have been overlooked, people who have been forgotten, are gathered up. When they're being paid attention to. And there's this ethnic divide, these Hebrew widows and these Greek widows. And so the wisdom and the spirit-filled group of these seven people say, hey, we're going to feed these people. We're going to pay attention to these people. And I just wonder, like, in your world, how you might do that. How you may more deeply pay attention to the people around you who are overlooked. 
who have been cast aside. You may ask, well, I don't know what Jesus is expecting of me. I don't know what Jesus is wanting from me. And just think he's asking all of us to gather up what's been discarded. And to pay attention to those who have been overlooked. And I believe that if we will do that, I think Jesus will be grateful for this church. I think he'll be proud of this church, that we didn't just pay attention to each other, but we paid attention to those who have been cast aside and overlooked. And so then there's a table, just as a reminder that there's a place that's been made. I invite the band up as we close and we want to celebrate the Lord's Supper uh, tonight and how it's going to work best um, is if you're kind of seated in this middle section, I'm going to ask that you kind of come down either this aisle or this aisle. Uh, we've been having a little traffic jam right here, if you've noticed, and we've been practicing the zipper merge, which has been good, but I would like for you, if it works, to please not come down the center, but to come down um, the sides and as we celebrate uh, this meal, there's this prayer um, that we just like to read. This is the table, not of the church, but of the Lord. And it's to be made ready for those who love him and who want to love him more. So come, you who have much faith and you who have little, you who have been here often and you who have not been for a very long time, you who have tried to follow and you who have failed, Come, because it is the Lord that invites you. I'm going to invite Ryan and Jill. I'm forward are going to help me serve on this side. And then, Jake, if you want to come up, uh, that would be um, awesome. Jake's one of our teenagers, and he's an incredible dude. I'm going to serve alongside him. Um, I have both gluten and gluten-free. So if you need gluten-free, I'm going to ask that you would come on on this side we're going to sing this song together and invite you um, as you feel led to come and take your place uh, at the lord's table thank you so much for joining us on the invitation church podcast i want to encourage you to take the message that you just heard and receive every part of it every promise from god every declaration of his great love for you every word of hope every reminder that you have been made for more allow what you've heard to take root in your soul to allow Jesus to do the deep work that only he can do. I also want to encourage you to be part of what we are doing here at Invitation as we invite people to live the way of Jesus. Go to the app and become a regular giver, an investor in the story that God is writing in this place. Also, if you found the message meaningful, we'd love to have you share it with someone else as you partner with us in carrying the message beyond the walls of the church. I want to thank you for being here with us. Grace and peace.